everyone and welcome to another episode of the Meteor Room. I am your host, Nick Bella. In this episode, I am joined by Alex Fuse, who is the voice of the Burlington Royals and has been podcasting since he was in 8th grade. Alex and I talked about fostering relationships, working in summer collegiate baseball, and dealing with burnout. We have a great show for you today, so sit back, relax, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello everyone, welcome to the Media Room. I'm your host, Nick Bello, and today I am joined by a very special guest, Alex Fuse. Um, Alex, welcome to the show. Nick, thank you for having me. I love what you are doing, and it's great to be with you. Alex, thank you. That means so much to me. Um, Alex and I have, we kind of go pretty far back. Um, last summer, we both interned in the NECBL, and you know, when I first met you, Alex, I, I was blown away when you started talking about all the things you've done, which we're going to find out what you've done in, uh, in the next few minutes. But um, you're a very impressive person. I just wanted you to know that because, um, you know, the things that you are doing should inspire, you know, a lot of people who are, who are young to kind of get into podcasting, get into broadcasting. So I wanted to commend you on that. Well, thank you so much, Nick. And it truly means a lot because, you know, when people, you know, like yourself kind of say that it's like well you just do it you know it's almost Mm -hmm. like you know if you have a passion for it and I know you share the same passion I hope that people listening to this has a passion for doing this or maybe you don't even know you have that passion yet until you try it it's got to try things out learn what you like what you don't like I think that's the biggest piece learn what you don't like try everything learn what works what doesn't work what kind of says uh I'd rather do something else instead of that. When you figure that out, do it, the other things that you love to do. And once you kind of start figuring that out, life is, uh, life is fun. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, this is just something, like as you said, just kind of try something out. And this is something I hadn't done. I've just mm-hmm. been a broadcaster and uh, for a little bit, actually. I haven't really done a lot of broadcasting, but this is something I wanted to try and do. And, you know, so far, so far, so good. I, I seem to mm-hmm. like it. I've listened to a lot of podcasts, so I've kind of, gone base of off of those but this is only the beginning of this journey um but your journey actually starts in eighth grade with the podcast that you started so kind of take us through that um where did you get that idea and what inspired you to start a podcast in eighth grade sure so it was funny i tried out for my modified baseball team and i didn't make it yeah, I didn't make it. I was uh, right around seventh or in, going into eighth grade that same year. I was in eighth grade then. And I tried out for the modified baseball team and I didn't make the team. And I went home and I turned on the Michael K show on the Yes Network. And, and then the next day in English class, there was a conversation we had about thinking about TV shows. And I used the Michael K show for like a little writing project. And that at that point, I thought, well, why don't I start my own show? Uh, I wanted to talk baseball. I wanted to talk about sports. And uh, well, I kind of mentally planned, you know, it was a long shot that would make this team. But I was thinking, well, that would be my you know, plan for the next few weeks or months. And then I didn't make that team. So I started my own podcast in eighth grade, like you said, and, you know, as we were chatting beforehand, it's going to be six years, the first week of June, six years since the first week of June, since I started that little podcast. And, you know, honestly, I think if you asked people six years ago about podcasting, no one really did it. 
it was kind of in an infants, you know, people still had, you know, radio was still much popular. Now, radio talk show hosts have podcasts. So, um, you know, I think, you know, I did like a two or like five, six, seven minute news updates on YouTube, their videos. And unfortunately, you can go back and watch those. I suggest you don't. <laughs> um, they're still up there. And, uh, you know, it was just myself sitting in my room that I'm sitting in right now, reading headlines, basically. And I would write the scripts. And then it morphed into doing interviews that fall. And the first person I ever interviewed at the time, I thought it was the Tom Brady of my life was the starting quarterback of my high school team. And it just so happened that my freshman year in high school, that football team made it to the state championship uh, for the New York state football uh, state championship game. And they played in the Syracuse dome uh, up in Syracuse, New York. So that's where they played. So I got to go up with the team and I covered them. And that was my, I think I interviewed every single player on that team on that show uh, that year. So it kind of just started from there and then kind of from there, I kept doing it. And so, you know, you're talking, Talking about like in eighth grade, you start your kind of career in sports media. Did you know what you were doing? Did you, like, were you taught in any way? Did you have any, like, were you, like, I don't know, like studying people to emulate at all? No. Or did you just you do know, it? I just did it. And, and that's the <laughs> funny thing. You know, I started it as a joke. I, I honestly, if you, Nick, honestly, if you go back and you listen to, I would say the first two or three episodes, I am whispering because I did not even tell my parents who were downstairs and then they heard me talking. You know, if they heard me talking, they'd be like, what is Alex doing? So if you go back and you listen to the first few shows, I am whispering because I didn't tell anyone. And one of my good friends, I think I told him or he found out somehow. And then from there, I said, you know, I started gaining a little audience, a little traction, right? And I just kept doing it and kind of almost the rest is history in that sense, you know, and then, you know, honestly, I, I did start as a joke and I did it all throughout summer of 2014. It was, and then I didn't interview anyone until September. You know, the first interview I had was when I was a freshman in high school. And that was when it all kind of started and snowballing uh, started with the athletes and then started interviewing athletes outside of high school. And then all throughout high school, I mean, four years of high school, I was a uh, team manager of my high school baseball team. So I did all the stats and I went to every single practice, every single game, all four years uh, for with that team. And then I did two years of the football team, team managed them, two years of the men's basketball team and two years of the men's soccer team. Um, so all throughout high school, I was busy with that too. And on top of that, I would do the podcast. And so interviewing the athletes at the same time and, and reporters and things along the lines of that. So I've always had a busy schedule and always like to work and, and be around sports for basically, you know, the last six years of my life. Yeah. And I mean, you know, in order to do something like this, you got to love what you do. Mm -hmm. um, I'm completely with you on that. I mean, I wouldn't, be working in sports if I didn't love it because it's right. it's a lot of work and you're not getting paid for most of it. Um, but you know, like when you first started out, did you think it ever become anything big? 
did you, you know, I know you said it started as a joke, but did you like, once you start getting a little bit of an audience, did you think that, you know, it become, you know, you're interviewing like some crazy celebrities and athletes. Like, did you ever think that happened? No, <laughs> um, to be completely <laughs> honest, no. Um, but at the same time, I had this belief once I interviewed the high school quarterback, Nick Gallo, who went on to play for Merrimack and Buffalo. I had a great, you know, he was talented, right? Mm-hmm. He was a star quarterback and he had all the press, right? He had the articles. He was on the front page of the papers constantly. And that was my first interview. And at the time, you know, like I said, that in my head, looking at it as I was booking these interviews at the time in my head I'm like wow I'm getting almost everyone in Shamont listening to this show because at that same time it was a championship run it was you know no one will tell you this in sports Nick but we know this if a team is winning people will tune in but if you have a team that's 0 and 10 sure you'll have you know some listeners but you'll get the fans outside of your general audience that will tune into the show. So, you know, I I think, you know, once I realized in my head that this is, you know, in my head, this is, I was getting Tom Brady and Rob Gronkowski and all these top football stars in my head at the time. Mm -hmm. I'm just a, you know, freshman in high school. And then from there, I kind of believed that I could get anyone on the show, right? Where it's never, a question where I couldn't that's what I believed at the time so you know from there I just started reaching out to everyone basically and um, you know I think the first sports broadcaster sports reporter credible uh, that I interviewed was Roger Weiland and Roger who is the voice of UAlbany football and basketball and and he is now has a big board sports in Albany, New York on 104.5 ESPN radio. Roger was the first person in the sports media I interviewed. And then from there, that kind of snowballed. And I, I would say my first major reporter I interviewed was Ken Rosenthal. You know, I interviewed Ken over four years ago now. So, you know, it's all about starting relationships with people as early as possible. Right. It's never too early to reach out to them and just to build those connections with them. That's crucial in this business. But get reps. You know, it's never too late. It's never too early. Uh, you yourself kind of dictate where you want to go in either this career or life. Um, and that's a major thing. You know, there's there's no one hanging above you like, uh, you know, a puppet master that's saying, okay, reach out to this person, right? Like, no, honestly, if you, if you ask, you know, Ken Rosenthal or any writer, your boss is never setting up those interviews mostly for an article. It's you, you have to create, you have to write, you have to produce, you have to publish in a lot of different areas. And I, I think when you realize that, you kind of dictate your own journey in a sense, then you just do it. (laughs) If that makes sense. Yeah. So to, you know, kind of, you know, probe into this a little bit more, 
Do you think you'd be where you are now if you hadn't started that podcast in eighth grade and hadn't made all these opportunities for yourself? To be completely honest, mm-hmm. I don't know where I would be if I hadn't started this. To to mm-hmm. be complete, and it's one, you know, I, I I guess I really haven't thought about this too deeply. It's a good question. It's one I'll probably uh-huh. think about uh, very soon. But you know, where would I be to? Uh, you know, honestly, Nick, who knows if I would have even graduated high school? You know, I was a decent student, but doing this, I was able to, you know, I was a quiet kid. You know, I had a couple friends, you know, throughout, you know, school. I was newer to the school system. You know, we moved and you know, I started at Shelmont when I was in fourth grade. So it's not like I grew up with a lot of my classmates. You know, I grew up with a lot of my classmates at my old school before I moved schools and I would still keep contact with them, but it was much tougher then. And, you know, it was, you know, I like, it's hard to explain, but this whole podcast kind of morphed into starting an icebreaker to talk with more people that I would never talk to, you know, to talk with a senior star quarterback within the first three weeks of starting high school, that's just something Mm -hmm. that's unheard of. And I would never talk to Nick if I haven't started this podcast. So it's an interesting question. If I hadn't started this, where would I be right now? Would I be at Dean College? Would we have even met last summer? Yeah. I would say no. You know, like, honestly, we would not be having this conversation right now if I never started this. Um, is it possible that I find out throughout the ways that I have an interest in working in sports? But who knows? You know, who knows where I would be right now? Um, you know, and honestly, you know, I, I was always – um, you know, I would say I was a quiet kid, but you know, this, you know, just being a communications major in college, you get kind of out there, you know, and talkative to people and, you know, meeting new people. I don't know if I would have done that if I hadn't learned early on that this is what you have to do in the business. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. Um, you know, for me too, I can kind of relate to that because in high school and in I didn't obviously I didn't start a podcast or do anything sports media related, but I was a very quiet kid. But what really brought me out of my shell and what kind of gave me the confidence to do sports media in college and be able to talk on camera like this was doing theater. I mm. I did theater my senior year of high school and I I was like pretty decent at it, but that's mm-hmm. kind of what brought me out of my shell. And you know, my story is different from everybody else's and same as so was your story. But do you think, you know, there's one like set path to get to where you are now? No, there's no path for anything mm-hmm. in life. I mean, I guess you could play it safe, you know, mm-hmm. and say, you know, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get a degree and I'm going to work for this company. And that's mm-hmm. it. You know, and, you know, to your point, now that I'm thinking about it, I'll go back, to, I'll finish my statement, but, uh, or yep. my response to that. But when you said drama uh, club and, and theater, mm-hmm. uh, I, I guess I had a similar um, thing where I used to do a summer camp for 
I believe it was two or three weeks. And I started that when I was seven or eight years old. And I would do, um, it was a two or three weeks summer camp theater uh, drama. And I started that when I was seven or eight years old. And I would do it, uh, you know, for the two or three weeks in the summertime. And I remember the first per performance that we put on was Alice in Wonderland. And I didn't have a speaking role in that, but during breaks, during uh, snack breaks, there was microphones. I was obsessed with microphones, still am. I, I just love microphones. And uh, I've never told this story. And I saw the microphone was set up. It was set up with the speakers and there was a couple stools. And I was seven or eight years old and I would host snack uh, like a snack talk show and I had a name for it I forget what it was and I would interview the castmates and I would sit on the stool during lunchtime and there was a couple of people that said Alex shut up you know it would be uh, their quiet time from me because well I had no speaking in the play outside of that I was the executioner I was the executioner in Alice in Wonderland I didn't have a speaking role but once we weren't, uh, you know, rehearsing, I was talking and, you know, from there, I guess that's where I started my early interviewing skills was saying, you know, what's your favorite snack? You know, that's kind of where that started. And the idea of, I guess then I knew I liked the, you know, entertainment factor of this. I liked entertaining a crowd. I liked telling someone something that they didn't know I still love that even more guess what you know that's I love that you know and then they're like no way really and I'm like yeah like I love that component of this business and uh but to answer you know your other question about the one path to whatever it is there is no path you know there is no textbook answer to especially in sports but really anything in life and i think a lot of people don't realize that and they're hoping right that they'll graduate college and they'll get espn calling them as soon as they get their diploma handed to them and then they'll be frustrated with the business that they no one's recognized their work even though they've not reached out to anyone or you know put themselves in a position to be in that spot. Like I said earlier, you dictate your own success in the business at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people either don't want to ever get to that spot or want to ever admit that, or even don't realize it. You know, I think there are a lot of people that are just hoping they get this call that never comes. And then they go on and find something else. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's more of they don't realize the realize it because there are so many people who I'm in class with at St. John's who have very minimal experience. I mean, this isn't their fault. I think this is kind of part of the system that we grew up in with like, you know, you go to a school, you go to college, you get a job. That's mm -hmm. not necessarily how it works anymore where, yeah. you know, with people like us, like we have to make our own way, especially in sports media. You know, there's mm -hmm. no one who really went from who – went to high school, graduated high school, went to college, didn't have any internships, just did the classwork and graduated and automatically got a job. Right. And I think a lot of people need to realize that. And I've been trying to, you know, 
urge people who are younger. I mean, this is kind of part part of the reason why I started this podcast to urge people who are younger to get out there and start doing it yourself rather mm-hmm. than relying on people and relying on hope that maybe just one day something will fall in your lap. Mm-hmm. 100%. You know, I couldn't have said it better than what you just said. You know, you never, you always, you always want to have backups, right? Mm-hmm. You always want to, especially right now uh, with so many unknowns, right? Yeah. And I, I think right now, a lot of people are realizing this. Like if you have a great position, a great job that you're happy with, mm-hmm. let's say, frankly, a pandemic hits and you lose that job. Are you just going to be unemployed, raise your hands up and say, all right, I'm going to accept some money from the government. I'm going to wait till things clear up for me to test things out. Well, some, you know, might find some, you know, success or happy with themselves with that. Mm-hmm. Me, it's, you know, I know, okay, you know, I'm home from school, you know, and I know I said this to Steven the other day and mm-hmm. we were talking about earlier is I work at an ice cream place, you know, and it was my option to go back to work. He gave everyone an option mm-hmm. if they felt safe enough to go back to work. And I said, of course, you know, we have all these different procedures that we do for the CDC guidelines and everything in the state mm-hmm. of New York. You know, so we're always wiping things down with Clorox wipes and everything along the lines of that, wearing face mask gloves all the time. So I felt safe and I'm, you know, working at the ice cream place, but at the same time doing a podcast and doing some things for the Burlington Royals, you know, so no matter what I'm doing, like if I lose that job at the ice cream place, it's what's next, (laughs) you know, it's, you know, I've been there for four years, but still let's say. I'm working at a restaurant or something, for example, and it closes down because of financial reasons. Mm -hmm. It's not that I got fired, but I just don't have that job anymore. So now what's next? What's my next option? Like you always want to be happy and content where you are in life, but also think for the worst sometimes and say, okay, well, if this thing doesn't work out, if this thing doesn't if I don't find a joy in this six months in, two months a weekend, and I'm just not happy in what I'm doing, what's my other option? And I think, again, that goes back to my point. Find out what you don't like as early on as possible. And if that five years later is your only option for a job and you don't realize that you don't like it before going in there, you know, to be honest with you, I would rather be unemployed and working at a job that I hate because to be, you know, like I've never worked at a job that I've hated. I, I would say outside of once that I quit within two weeks because I, mm-hmm. I hated it. I hated it. And, you know, I said, you know, to the owner of the place, I said, look, I don't, I can't do this. It's not the right fit for me. And he had no problem with that. And, you know, that's one lesson I learned early on. Be honest with whoever you're working for. If it just doesn't work out, don't do it because you're hurting yourself and the people you're working with and for. Um, so that's kind of my philosophy on a one road to success. It's also defined. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a good question because what do you define your success as? Some people might be happy being comfortable if you find a nice job in a 
you know, on a radio station that you grew up listening to, you know, for example, let's say, you know, I am hosting a show on ESPN radio here in Albany, New York, and I'm happy. I'm with my family up here in Albany and I feel successful doing it. Then that's awesome. But if you want more than that, if you want to, you know, go work in a larger market in a city or if you say, well, I'm going to start off in radio, but I want to do baseball play by play. Then that's like, what do you define success success as? That's what you do. And so I think the very, it varies by what you define success as and whatever you're doing and also figuring out what you can do to just feel successful and happy with what you're doing. Yeah, no, um, that's actually an interesting point that you brought up because um, for me, I thought success was making a lot of money, working at a big time, you know, place, whether it be, you know, ESPN, Fox Sports, anything. But I've come to realize recently that for me, what I determined as success is me being happy where I am, no matter what the money is, what I'm doing. It's just as long as I'm happy there, I don't really care because that's where I'm going to put in my max amount of effort and where it's not going to feel like work for me. And that's something that's always been important for me because as you said, uh, you know, working jobs when I was younger, I got to kind of feel out what I do like and what I don't like. And for me personally, I don't like sitting in an office nine to five, just sitting at a desk because I did a, an internship like that my freshman or sophomore year. And that just wasn't for me. I I was constantly looking at the clock. I was constantly doing other things that didn't involve work. I was at times I was hurting my, who I was working with, but unlike you, I didn't have the guts to to say, "Hey, this isn't for me." Um, yeah, but it it's it's something that you don't get to realize unless you experience it for yourself. And I think that's what's important. And that's what people should understand is that you're not going to realize these things unless you experience it for yourself. Like we can talk about this all we want. And maybe it'll get through to someone, maybe it won't, but unless they experience it for themselves and see what they like and what they don't like, that's when they're going to realize it, I think. Mm, 100%, completely agree. Mm-hmm. And so um, after, after eighth grade, after high school, you moved on to Dean College. What made you decide to go to Dean College? You know, it's one that I get a lot, you know, why Dean? Some people mm-hmm. have never heard of Dean College. It's a small mm-hmm. private college in franklin massachusetts it's right outside of uh foxborough mass about 15 minutes away from gillette stadium where the patriots play and Mm -hmm. the voice of the patriots john rook who taught a two-week sports broadcasting camp uh started that i went there i was going into 11th grade in high school Mm -hmm. and i went to the two-week summer camp there at dean and I loved it. I loved every second of it. And then after the two weeks went up, when my dad picked me up from Dean, you know, I, on the way home, he's like, if, you know, they have one next summer, do you think you'll go back? And I said, yeah. And I, I would love, you know, I think I said something like, I kind of want to go to college here. And my dad was like, <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll look at other colleges. And then next year, they had the same camp and I went back and my dad said, before you go picture, try and picture yourself at this camp and see if you would be happy there for four years. Can you see yourself 
there for four years. And I love the camp even more. Um, I love working with John and him and I have had a great relationship. We've known each other for four or five years now. And, you know, it's where I learned that this is really what I wanted to do and study in college. And at the same time, learn where I want to go to school. And when I went to Dean um, two years ago now, where I never had, I know some people have like that homesickness or um, feeling of just not, you know, it, it takes a little getting used to. At the time, I went to Dean and I already spent over a month on campus. So I already knew where the dining hall was. I already knew where the library was. I already knew the layout of the campus. I already knew John, uh, all the communication professors because they helped out with the camps as well. Um, Dr. Rooney, who's a president of the college, she has an active role throughout the, the uh, summertime, always on campus, but it, we were able to talk with her during the summer camp and stuff like that. So I already knew the main people on campus that I needed to know in certain ways. So I kind of went to Dean kind of, all right, I'm ready to go. And a lot of the people, there were uh, three or four of the uh, communication students that were helping out with the camp. Like they were like commuters and they helped out with the summer camp and I already knew them. So I already went into knowing, uh, I already knew, Rob Marcello, who was the sports director my uh, first year there, I already knew him for two years. So there was already a sense of community the first day I was on campus. Sure, I was nervous. Sure, I still uh, felt weird being on campus the first couple of weeks. But at the same time, I wasn't really in a position where I wanted to be home. I didn't know where anything was. Like, I already knew where all of that stuff was. So the college transition for me was a little easier than others. Mm -hmm. No, I think that's a, you know, that's a good point that you bring up in terms of, you know, being comfortable at your college and feeling like you don't want to go home because in order to be very good in sports media, you have to kind of start in college and you have, and I've spent so much time away from my family during break. Um, yeah. The past two years, just traveling with St. John's basketball and doing St. John's sporting events because I don't have time to come home and, you know, be on campus, being in college really becomes your home. And I think that's an mm -hmm. important thing to touch on, something that I really didn't think about until you just said it right there, which yeah. is, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's important. I mean, all last year, Nick, mm -hmm. I was home for two weeks in January. I was home for a week and a half, two weeks in May, and then a week and a half in august and then from there i was home thanksgiving and then for the holiday break so mm -hmm. i was only home all last year less than five weeks combined you know <laughs> yeah so whenever someone said oh where are you from i said well really upstate new york albany new york mm -hmm. but I've been here living on campus at Dean College 50 out of the 54 weeks of the year, basically. <laughs> you know, so I spent pretty much all of 2019 living on campus because all that summer I was living on campus and then driving to New Bedford to catch the bus every day uh, or go to the ballpark. So, 
you know, I lived on campus in the spring and fall semester and all throughout the summertime, um, all throughout uh, basically the whole year. So, you know, I'm kind of glad I learned that I was going to be comfortable on campus because, boy, did I spend a lot of time. I guess this year I'm making up for it. <laughs> this year yeah. I'm making up for it, not being on campus that much. So. No, that's like me this year. Like, this is the most time I've spent home since I was a freshman. No, probably like a senior right. in high school. Like, it's so yeah. weird being it's home weird. for this amount of long. Yeah. Yeah, it's like, oh, this room, you know, I'm like, it's so boring in here. So I gotta, yeah. you know, it's like, I might be spending a, a, a longer amount of time here. So we got to check this out. So, you know, I've been making a little improvements to the decorations in the room, trying to make it a little more uh, feeling like, oh, I'm going to be here for a long time, not just two weeks or three weeks and back to Dean. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I actually had to move my desk from a certain spot to my room into another spot because I was like, yep. no, this doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel like an adult desk setup. Yeah. Like I just had to move it around. So I moved it towards a window and now I have like a little office space going. So I'm more productive. That's what I it. did. That's what I did. Mm-hmm. I, uh, I had a desk and was out in my living room. You know, I have like a living room upstairs too. And um, it was out there. I moved it in here. It's quieter in my room. And I had a, a like a broken office chair, and I spent the first week of quarantine mm-hmm. um, as I'm holding a face mask. That's the most 2020 sentence. <laughs> a quarantine and face mask um, in my hand, and I was sitting in a broken office chair, and I'm like, "This ain't cutting it." So <laughs> luckily, I think I uh, went on to Amazon a little before everyone started realizing that the chair they were sitting in at home wasn't cutting it either. And uh, the, I went on after I ordered it, it was sold out. You know, you can't find an oh. office chair even now. Everything's backwards. So luckily I was able to get a nice office chair uh, because I'm like, I feel like I would be uh, using this chair uh, for uh-huh. a good amount of time. Yeah, no, I can definitely relate to that. I mean, I didn't change my office chair, but I changed um, a lot of things in my room. But my, so my chair is a wooden chair I've had since I was like in middle school and it hurts every time I sit in it. So I might have to, you know, take up your advice and get a new office chair or something because when I get done doing these, like my back hurts so badly. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my back was killing me, but I wish you the best of luck in trying to find a chair right now. You might have better luck getting it you know, at a store, if you go out and, and wear a face mask, of course, and, <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, and find a chair somewhere. Yeah, no, uh, um, I actually might do that. Um, actually, I think I just realized there's an office space in my house and there's an extra chair just sitting there up for taking. So I might have to go up and take it. Um, but anyway, so let's Don't move say on. So, Don't say no, anything, I, just take the chair. <laughs> see, the only person who would probably notice it is my cat because he has to sit in it. But like anybody else in my house, no one would notice. Like he notices those weird things. Um, but anyways, so you have a show at Dean College um, on their radio station, uh, Power 88.3 FM, where you interview, like where you're kind of taking your podcast and continue it there and have interviewed some very prominent sports media professionals, as well as some athletes as well, um, from what I, I saw in the re- research I was doing. So how did you get that started at Dean? You know, it kind of just snowballed like what you said, you know, I kind mm-hmm. of used the connections I built. It would be what, four years of doing a podcast and then kind of rolling into that. So it's kind of, you know, not been considered a podcast, a radio show. Right. And, yeah. you know, 
using, you know, my connections and relationships with people, you know, that I've interviewed in the past and just saying, Hey, you know, can we do another one? You know, and that's the best compliment I can get, you know, sure. The first get is always nice, but are they willing to go on a second time or a third time? Those are, you know, the best compliments when um, you get those, because it's like, you know, I think anyone, you know, if this is a conversation, right. Where if you don't have a good conversation with someone, either you're not going to respond or just not have the time for it. Right. So I think the best compliment I can get is when someone does a second or a third interview or fourth with me, just because that means they were okay with the conversation the first time or the second time. Right. So it's all about not only making that first connection, but I don't like to use the word connections that much. It's relationships because a connection, in my opinion, is, hi, how are you doing? You move past. But a relationship is text them, see how they're doing, especially right now, right? Just say, hey, or happy Thanksgiving, happy holidays, happy new year. Mm-hmm. How are you doing? Um, how was your year? Um, I love the story that you wrote. Oh, that was a great broadcast last night. Maintain those relationships. And it's not like every single time you're messaging them or emailing them, it's I need, I need, I need, or I want, I want, I want. It's kind of a mixture because, and it's not, you know, mind games with them. It's being a decent person, right? So at the end of the day, we're all people. And I think a lot of times that kind of gets lost in the shuffle of things, I think we're realizing now once everything got kind of got put on pause and as the world is slowly starting to go back to somewhat normal or normal of what we think that is normal now. So I, I think we will start seeing, um, you know, people start realizing I don't need to rush so much. You know, I can take five minutes, talk with someone, catch up. How are the family? How are the kids? How's the pets? You know, um, did you teach the dog new tricks? You know, is there, you know, those yeah. little, it's just really getting to know them as people and, you know, just building those relationships with them. And if you can establish those, no matter what business or industry that you're in, you're going to be somewhat decent at it. So, and then the radio show, um, you know, I started, you know, I had a radio show my first year. I co-hosted it with who's a sports director now, Brendan. And then um, in the fall of 2019, I saw on the calendar in the radio station, like the programming schedule, that there was an opening Monday through Friday from 7 to 8 a.m. And I talked to the uh, professor who runs the radio station. I say, Professor Michaels, can I do a a morning drive sports talk show? And he said, really, you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I'll do it. I don't care. I'll wake up in the morning. I'll do it. He said, as long as you wake up in the morning and do it, I'm okay with it. But you have to be consistent with it. You can't be oversleeping or anything along the lines of that. And I said, don't worry. I got you. And he goes, you know, at first I was going to do it just by myself. And then uh, I realized that there was a lot of interest in other people having shows on the station. And I said, do you want to come join this radio show? And it's 
you know, I, I named it the Alex Hughes radio show because um, at the time I had my podcast, the podcast started out as sports fusion spelled with my last name. And then I reached out to someone on a news company that I really wanted to interview. They responded, but they said, I don't do sports, right? Sports fusion. So I said, okay, I'm going to change the name of the show fusion news. So with that name of the show, I could interview anyone. And then I do this morning talk show and I was going to call it fusion news. And I said, wait a second. If you don't know me and you're not listening to the show, you're thinking Fusion News, what the heck is this? So I said, in order to build the brand of the show quickly, because when you see a show name like the Michael K show, or in my case, the Alex Hughes show, you know what you're getting. It's, <laughs> you know, you know what you're getting. You don't need any explaining to it. You know, so that was Mike and Mike. You knew what you were getting. Uh, go like a wingo now. You know what you're getting. So I think that's why a lot of times they name it after their names is because you know what you're getting. The Dan Patrick Show. Well, it's going to be Dan Patrick and and then uh, everyone else. So that's kind of my mindset when it came to that. And then I just you know, woke up every morning at 4.30 in the morning and did the show. I did it, I did it five days a week and then. I think everyone else did it. I had it. We have a team of uh, about 10 people, including myself. And I think everyone else does like two or three days a week, mostly two, sometimes one day a week. Um, I would say it's easier to do five days a week than one day a week because one day a week, you're going to bed at somewhat of an early time, waking up early. But the other six nights, you're going to bed at midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. So it's easier to get into a, a schedule than doing the uh, one offs a week, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, personally, I couldn't wake up that early to do a show. Um, I can barely function waking up at like noon to do anything. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, oh. I hear you. Um, it's kind of crazy how you how you're so dedicated that you wake up at four thirty AM. But I mean that kind of just goes back to, you know, doing what you love and this kind of not feeling like a job. This is what you you feel mm-hmm. that you're meant to do. Um, but I also want to touch on uh you said it kind of in the first half of your response about, you know, creating relationships. Because you've had all these sports media people on your show. And the first thing I wanted when I first met you was, how does he meet all these people? And how does he build these relationships? But in your answer, it makes perfect sense to me now doing a podcast. Because I don't want to feel like um, when, I, when I have someone on, that it's just like a one-time thing. I don't ever talk to them again. And I right. just I want to keep having them back. And I want to keep talking to them. And, you know... To bring up your point about connections, how you don't like that word, I don't like the word networking because to me that feels mm. so temporary and it feels like you're using people to get what you want for your career and you're not really caring about the, them as a person or them their personal interests as, as well. Mm-hmm. No, 100%. And I think you have to realize that, you know, if, if you only message someone for when you need something, Mm-hmm. And you realize that, and sometimes quickly, that or versus a person that, how are you doing? I love that article. You know, like I said, happy birthday, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's birthday is pretty accessible. If you want 
to really make a good impression on someone, put it in your phone calendar. Who is someone that you really, at the end of the day, appreciate you having a connection with them? Put it in your calendar that so-and-so's birthday is, we're taping this on May 18th, someone's birthday is May 18th. Put it in your calendar. And like I said, you can look up anyone and find out their birthday, <laughs> right? So <laughs> yeah. put it in your calendar and then text them happy birthday or email them happy birthday. And then they're going to be like, <laughs> wow, he knows my birthday. Thank you. And then, you know, when you need something, right, or just a quick advice, piece of advice that you want, then you're going to be more likely to talk with them, right? So I think that's where you kind of have to distinguish you know, is just, like I said earlier, be a decent human being. And I think a lot of times that gets lost in translation. You know, sometimes people don't really mean it or realize it, how they come across Mm -hmm. sometimes. And I understand it. I get it. I mean, no one's perfect. And I think where you have to kind of just realize, okay, where can I improve? You know, where, um, and if that's learning something the hard way and losing a connection with someone, well, then that's something else that you kind of have to, all right, you know, how do I get them back? You know, how do I, you know, it's going to take it a little bit more time with this one, but how can I prove to them that either, you know, I deserve a relationship with them or want a relationship with them or, you know, like connection with them. So I think that's the biggest thing is just be just a human being and you'll start to see um, your just overall brands, personal brand, happiness, and just friendships in the business grow. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's kind of the reason why I started this podcast because I felt like I was following a lot of people on Twitter, but I didn't know them personally. And it's just like, just like one day it kind of popped in my head that like, I have a lot of Twitter friends, Twitter friends. Like, what does that mean? Like, why, like, why am I not talking to these people? Like, I don't need anything from them because I, I feel pretty reliant on my skills to be able to get somewhere in this industry. But I just kind of want to talk to them. Maybe if they ever need anything from me, I'd be willing to give it to them. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you know, with us being so young in this business and us wanting to kind of climb that ladder, it, as you said, it gets lost in translation to be a decent human being. And I think that's something that I, I want to say, I don't want to put too much blame on colleges and universities for, for this, but with all these networking events, I think that they kind of train us in our heads to kind of get what you want out of a relationship instead of just kind of getting to know a person just kind of, you know, use people to get higher and higher and higher and higher. And I think that's kind of a problem that needs to be addressed. And I'm glad that you feel the same way about it. I definitely feel the same way about it. And I mean, a lot of times when I either go, I'm not a fan of college fairs or or career fairs. I'm not either. I've never been to one. I've never been to one. Yeah. Yeah, I hate it. I hate career fairs because, um, like I said earlier, in that way, it comes across that you're going to have 50 plus companies all sitting at a table wanting you. Mm-hmm. I want to know the percentage of people 
that go to these career fairs and end up working for those companies that they talk to. The percentage yeah. of that is probably less than 5%. And um, that's not factual evidence. Mm-hmm. It's just yeah. from personal experience because everyone that I know that goes to those career fairs that I know now mm-hmm. are not working for any of those companies that <laughs> I saw at that career fair. And I, I think that's a, like a false sense of security. It's a, a narrative that um, people think that is going to happen. And then when they graduate, it's, they're going to realize it quickly that there's no call from whatever company that you can think of. And I, I think that's where you kind of have to say, okay, this is where we go from here. You know, and like I said, you decide your own success. And again, it's how you define your own success. But still, at the end of the day, you define it yourself. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, in terms of creating a skill set, for example, where does making connections rank on that skill set? Or just being able to make relationships in order to be successful in sports or just in anything in general? Like, where does that rank for you? Is that the most important thing? I would say it's, it's one of them. Uh, because, you know, I was asked, you know, this summer, you know, mm-hmm. like, where it's like, what were you looking forward to most this summer? Was it calling 45 games? And I hope that there is those 45 games, right? Yeah. And I said, I don't care if it's 45 or one game. It's not a number to me. It's who am I building relationships to outside of those games? You know, like I was, like Steve and I had this conversation last week. You know, Stephen Huff, the broadcaster yeah. of the Newport Goals from last summer, for anyone listening that did, doesn't, didn't know this, this is how I crossed paths with yeah. And where it's like, I said to Steven, I don't remember really a Rafe Shamet base hit, right? Mm-hmm. It would if I looked at my scorebook and, you know, my scorebook is kind of like my journal, right? Where I can flip to any New Bedford Bay Sox game and it all comes back to me. You know, mm-hmm. I can tell you where so-and-so struck out so-and-so and, you know, whatever it is. But what I remember and I can tell the stories of is what happened before the first pitch and after the last pitch. And that is what means the most to me. It's the times on the bus. It's the times on a boat going in from and to Martha's Vineyard. It's um, the never-ending bus rides after a horrible loss. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I think... (laughs) Unfortunately, there was a lot of those for you guys. There was a lot. <laughs> no offense. No, I'm no taking offense. It now. I mean, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not like, uh, I mean, rest in peace, New Bedford Bay Sox right now. I know. Like, I didn't uh, know they like weren't a thing until like maybe they, midway through this winter. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. And I mean, Tammy, the GM of the team, is a, a good friend of mine. And she's a professor at Dean. She's mm-hmm. also the GM of the team. And there's hope that they are able to rebrand themselves and re-enter the NACBL next year. But what does the Mm -hmm. NACBL look like next year after all of this? So there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of unknowns. But, um, 
but yeah, it is kind of funny where uh, there was a lot of losing um, mm -hmm. for New Bedford, and it was painful. It was honestly painful because, you know, it kind of goes back. It, this is a great bridge to this answer. It was mm -hmm. painful because I cared about the people losing, right? Mm -hmm. That's why it was painful. And, you know, when you care about the people, it's not rooting. It's not being a homer. Mm -hmm. When you spend two, two and a half months, you know, going out to eat with them, you know, spending time off the field with them, when you build the relationships and the friendships that you do with the team, you care about them. You know, I'll never forget the time we were at Mystic and Michael Goodrich, the catcher on the Bay Sox, just coming back from an injury, I believe. No, I'm sorry. He was finally starting to hit really well. Mm -hmm. And he was finally starting and I've had so many great conversations on the bus with Goody up to this point in time great mind great baseball mind and he is just you know he just hit a home run that game just hit a home run and I can finally see him finally he had a phenomenal college season he hit like 340 a couple home runs uh, like 40 50 RBIs he was a star catcher at Trinity University right down in Texas mm -hmm. with Rafe and uh, Corey Cater and Matt Thomas on the team. And he's finally starting to hit the ball really well. Finally starting to swing the bat really well. And I'm like, yeah, he's finally coming back after all. You know, I was rooting for him because that's, you know, you care about the people. And then one of the last pitches of the game, it was a pitch that just hit the glove, the catcher's glove wrong, and he dislocated his thumb. Mm. and he was done for the season Oof. and in that moment it was the ninth inning you know uh, bottom of the ninth and you just felt awful for him because you knew that his season was over with and that was painful because of the relationships with the players because it's it's it goes back to just the human nature of it and you know that's that's key you know and i'll never forget that because the first thing i was like wow he was finally starting to hit the ball really well you know i remember having the conversations with him he dreamed of playing in the necbl and he said he got the uh, batting gloves and a bat from the base stocks when he first started with the team and he was never going to use it. And he was going to frame the bat, frame the gloves. And, you know, because he got to play in the NACBL. Right. And mm -hmm. that was, that stuck to my mind because I kind of felt the same way. I wanted to call baseball, you know, at some level. And that was my first summer doing it. So I'm like, I related to that. You know, he finally was able to do this. It was the highest he played baseball outside of college. And then, of course, that happened. You know, he dislocated his thumb, and he's done. And he had to have surgery, and he ended up coming back and to spend the rest of the season with the team on the bench. 
So, mm-hmm. you know, I had a conversation with them and I still keep in contact with them. And it's, it goes back to the people of it. I miss the people. Well, yes, the games are nice and everything. I miss the people. So I miss going to uh, Cardings Field and seeing you, yeah. Stephen and Zach, and just having our pregame conversations and a quick conversation. You know, honestly, Nick, I don't even know if I ever told you this story, but I got lost at Cardings Field. I think one of the uh, last times I was there, uh, I got what? lost. I, I thought <laughs> I, I, it was after the game, right? And um, I felt like we were being rushed. I was, I felt like I was being rushed. It was an awful loss. Mm-hmm. And as soon as the bad losses on the road, and there was a lot of them, started piling up, piling them up, where mm-hmm. the manager said, "We're getting out of here." And I honestly thought they forgot about me. And oh, I went I went out. Don't worry. Uh, uh-huh. They didn't forget about me. Spoiler alert. <laughs> uh, but I thought they did. And I went out. And I was on the side of the street. I went out the, if you're looking at, if you're where we were in the broadcast booth. Yep. Looking at over the field, right by home plate. I went out on the left field side, out that way, on the road. Yep. And I'm like, where's the bus? And then I saw someone, or I think I called someone. I think I called Rafe Shamet. I think I texted him. I'm like, where are you guys? Did you guys leave me? <laughs> because I remember that, you know, I was going to go home with someone else. You know, I was going to, you know, we were, had plans after the game. And I was mm-hmm. like, did you guys forget me? And then they said, no, we're eating on the other side of the field. They were yeah, on the right over, field line. Yeah, yeah. On the right field line. And yeah. I was like, oh, thank God. You know, <laughs> oof. And they never get me. And then I yeah. go over there and they're like, where have you been? <laughs> I'm like, well, I, I got lost. Uh, but, you know, I miss, I miss those moments, you know, like that story about me getting lost. Mm-hmm. Ask me anything about the game right now without my scorebook in front of me. I can't tell you anything really. And, you know, that's what sticks out to me most. It's, it's the people. Mm-hmm. No, that's the same thing for me. And that's what I think is so unique about the NECBL. I was fortunate enough to work there for two summers. And like, like as you said, I couldn't remember one result in one game. All I remember is all the funny stories I have, you know, mm-hmm. working with you, Steven, like all the hijinks that went on during games, before games, um, after games. In between innings. In, in between, between innings. innings like the silly conversations we'd have on the air when it was yeah. like a blowout. Like that, those are the things that I remember the most and are what I'm going to remember the most. And it's also, you know, talking to players about, you know, what their favorite things to do off the field is or something just, you know, just talking about to them about life, I guess, mm-hmm. rather than their baseball stats or how good they think they're going to do this game. Right. Is, and yeah. I think that's everything. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, you bring up a, a fantastic point where a lot of people don't realize that, where they want to talk about other things, right? Yeah. And, you know, I use this example all the time. If you work at McDonald's, chances are you're not going to want McDonald's for either breakfast or dinner, right? Yeah. And if you can find some way to relate yourself to a player by mm-hmm. not talking baseball, they're going to open up to you. They are mm-hmm. because 
everyone else is asking them about baseball 24-7. And you just need to break away from your job. Obviously, everyone loves playing the sports. But when you spend how many hours, how many times practicing, working and taking batting practice or throwing live bullpens or playing these games that seem like they're never going to end on a hot summer night, right, where they just want to talk about what their favorite snack is. You know, yeah, the debates of, you know, is a hot dog a sandwich? You know, you know those are. Wait, we had that debate last summer. We definitely had that debate last summer. I think we definitely had that conversation last summer. We definitely did. Um, I think that was off the air, though. I think that was off. Yeah, that was definitely off air. Um, But you know, it's those conversations, right? It's those Uh you know things that um, you know. At the end of the day, that's what matters because. You're never going to play baseball for 100 years, right? Yeah. And there's always life after baseball. And if you can somehow create that life after baseball while playing the game and those relationships with them, you're going to be better off and have a better feeling for what you're doing so easily. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I've kind of brought that philosophy. I mean, it's something I, I learned last summer. I'd say, and I've brought into this year with my work with St. John's. So a great story I have of, you know, me talking to players is during the Big East tournament, I was standing uh, at kind of on the three-point line during warmups. And one of the players was listening. I was standing next to him. And one of the, our players was listening to the band play. He goes, you know, I used, to, I used to be in a band in like high school and middle school. I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I used to play like, the tuba or the trombone. I can't remember which instrument was. It's one of the two. And he goes, yeah, I used to be good. I was actually really good. I could see his eyes lighting up as he's talking about it. And I'm like, this is really, really cool because I've ne- I would have never expected that. First of all, and second of all, I'm, I'm getting. I didn't have to do anything for him to open up to me like that. He just felt comfortable telling me that story about him, and it's something that I can guarantee you, no fan knows. And I mm-hmm. thought that was the coolest moment, and. It, that was one of the conversations that I had with our team this year that made me love what I do for them because they, I treated them as a human being and they treated me back as a human being. Like I was one of their friends. It's awesome Mm -hmm. to get, you know, that relationship with players. I mean, for me, I try not to think of players as like these crazy athletes who, um, who aren't human beings. Um, Cause I just, I think that's weird. I don't think it's fair to them because it is, they want their normal, just like all of us. And I think that's something that people who don't work in the sports industry um, don't understand is mm-hmm. that, you know, they're, they're just like us and they, they have the same interests that we do. 100%. And I think that kind of um, answers, you know, the part where, you know, me building connections, it's that mm-hmm. it's yeah. not Ken Rosenthal, uh, one of the best reporters and writers in baseball. Yeah. He's a person. He's someone that wanted to do this from my age. And if you can mm-hmm. relate that to them and to not fanboy over them, right? That's mm-hmm. huge. Because sure, it might be feel fun at the beginning. Oh, I have a fan. And then it gets kind of annoying, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like you don't really, you know, feel connected to them to where that you can tell them a story like that playing the tuba right yeah and you want to just feel as personable with them as possible 
and mm-hmm. some to some people it's natural to some people it takes you know time to build those you know it's not like you can wake up one day and build all these connections with yeah. random people where it takes time to get used to and it takes you know it takes guts sometimes you know to mm-hmm. go up and introduce yourself to someone you've never met but you have you know looked up to for a, a lot of your life so i think that's something that just comes with time and if you want it do it there's no one stopping you but yourself mm-hmm. yeah no you're definitely the the holder of your own limitations i'm not sure if i'm saying that right but it's something yeah, along yeah, those yeah. lines yeah yeah, no, yeah right. you definitely limit yourself like um by not doing things because who's stopping you like what you said like who's right. stopping you from doing yeah. this it's just do it yeah it's 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 that's such a big life lesson and i think that's something that a lot of people don't do in life they just end up t- playing the safe route and playing the nine to five job type of thing out of college which you know for me that was something that i thought i wanted for a long time because it felt safe but now being able to do all of this it it's not something i want to do because i'd be absolutely miserable if i did that you know working to the weekend you know waiting to you know get out of work like i love what i do every single day whether it's working in the necbl working for st john's or freelancing and doing other work it's 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 i'm so glad i found this because i don't know where i'd be without it mm-hmm. i'm sure you feel the same way oh yeah you know i really don't know what i would be doing right now if i didn't start this mm-hmm. um you know and it's something i love and it's something I am incredibly thankful for and grateful for to be able to meet people like yourself and to mm-hmm. just, you know, feel connected and to be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. You know, that's mm-hmm. what I love, you know, to be a part of a team, you know, throughout the success and well, failures and defeats. Yeah. And I would say you learn more through the defeats than winning because mm-hmm. it makes the winning aspect even more special throughout life when you've been through so many defeats you yeah know, it makes you appreciate the wins a little bit more than some may normally feel so i don't hate defeat i don't like losing but mm-hmm. if you can't control the losing aspect of it no all right make the most out of it right so i, I think it's all about how you look at things and how you perceive life in general but at the same time, it's what are you doing? Are you enjoying it? Are you not? Once you figure that out and you are doing something that you do enjoy, keep doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for me, uh, th- the way I figure out what I enjoy and what I don't enjoy is the amount of effort I put into it. Like with school, I don't enjoy school. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I don't enjoy school. So sometimes I, I half-ass it for lack of a yeah. better term. But with yeah. like sports media and like photography, videography, um, broadcasting, I put in everything I could possibly put into every single one of those. And that's what's made me decide that this is what I want to do with my life and has led me to meeting you and doing this podcast. When I'm right next to you, uh, yeah. 100% completely agree with you on that. Um, so from, you know, working with the Bay Sox last year and doing all the things that you've been able to do through your podcast and through your radio station at Dean, you were able to land a job with the Burlington Royals this summer. 
Um, so how did you go about landing that job? Like, what was the um, kind of hiring process that went into it? Did you apply for it or did they reach out to you? Um, so I was in a position to where I found out that there was no season for New Bedford this mm-hmm. summer. And I wanted to, I would definitely say that I, I obviously had an option to go back there this summer to be their play-by-play person, mm-hmm. but I don't really like to do something twice if I feel like I can go on and do something that I feel like is a step above, right? Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to feel like I'm backtracking or standing still. If I feel like I can do something different or a little more advanced, so I knew that my backup, there was no backup right right then. So mm-hmm. I asked someone for a piece of advice about just finding internship opportunities and what I should do and just basic advice. And they, they told me to play the numbers game and to apply to places to everywhere I would be willing to internet. And so mm-hmm. I then send an email to just about every single minor league baseball team on I believe it was a Monday, a January. I'll give you the exact date here in just one second. I think it was <laughs> I know it was the first week and in January. Let's see, it was January 10th, Monday, January 10th. I sent out an email, a scheduled email to pretty much every single minor league baseball team. Within two minutes, I got an email back from Mikey Morrison, the then Burlington Royals general manager. And he said, uh, send me your resume. And I did. And then he said, send me your reel. And then I did. And then I sent him, and then he said, can you do a phone interview tomorrow at two? And I say, sure. And I did an interview with him and I asked him that same question about the interview process and the hiring process. And I gave him a recommendation, a couple of them. And he said, I'm going to ask, you know, I said, okay, you know, you'll hear back from us with a week or two, um, blah, 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 blah. Um, And I think, uh, you know, he said, you know, I'm going to talk, I'm going to call your reference and get back to you within a week or two. And uh, the reference text me, oh, I just got the phone with, you know, Mikey, uh, gave me the big thumbs up. And then I uh, got a call right after that from him the same day and he offered me the job. So you went from sending an email to 150 people and you landed a job all within 48 hours. That was an extraordinary process for me. Mm-hmm. And it's one that if, like I said, play the numbers game, put yourself in a position to where you could basically um, feel that you could be a part of something that's bigger than yourself. So I, I think just doing that mm-hmm. is special and just putting yourself. And again, no one's sending those emails for you. You know, and it goes back to kind of the whole theme of this conversation. You dictate your own success. 
or again, whatever you define as successful. And while there is no one path to doing anything in this, you have to have some sort of your own path because you can't get lost in a path. So I think by not getting lost into what you are doing is, you know, that's what's key, right? And you have to kind of be comfortable being uncomfortable and putting yourself in uncomfortable positions. And I think that's kind of where a lot of people don't realize they have to be in uncomfortable positions, right? So I think that's kind of the major aspect of this to where, hey, if you want to interview Adam Schefter, Adam Schefter's not going to be calling you, right? Mm -hmm. You have to build the relationships and reach out, send emails. You don't hear back from the first one, follow up a month after, you know? If he says not right now, I'm busy, follow up six months down the line, y'all at the belt time. If you ask for an interview with Ken Rosenthal on July 31st, a trade deadline, and he says, I'm busy, and then you say, well, I'm never going to ask him for an interview ever again. He said no to me. You have to realize July 31st is the busiest time for an inside reporter. But if you message him in February, right before spring training begins, or you know, in April when the season's just beginning, he might be able to find some time. You know, just take 10, 15, 20 minutes to talk with you. So it's all about timing. It's all about realizing that other people have lives, careers. So, you know, that's also a major aspect to it. So I think that's kind of where you have to kind of go into thinking, well, it's not exactly, you know, cut, you know, one way, right? So I think that's kind of what I had to learn early on is, there's no one dictating what path to go on. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, that's probably the best story I've ever heard of, of that can huh. define that. Because I think a lot of people, it could be partially an ego thing that they're afraid to go out and email people for to get a land job interview or to land an interview for someone to be on their podcast. And I think that once you kind of break down that ego and realize if, you know, this isn't going to happen overnight on its own, like people aren't going to come to me all of a sudden that you have to kind of make your own opportunities. That's really when your career starts. And that's when you start to kind of prog progress your career is when you start taking, a, taking action on what you want to do. And mm -hmm. I think that's an important lesson that has gotten not only me, and you to where we are, but has gotten so many other people to where they are in sports media and it's not talked about enough. Mm -hmm. No, 100%, you know, and it's, it's something that, again, some people might have to learn the hard way, unfortunately, mm -hmm. you know, where they don't land a spot when you only, you know, if you interview or apply for a position, you know, mm -hmm. I really want to work for this company. And you put all your eggs in that basket, right? I'm going to move to this city. I'm going to do this. I think I know someone there. It's going to work out. Well, what if it doesn't? Mm -hmm. Then what? And now you're in a spot. Well, now I don't have a job. Now, 
you know, the sports media said no to me one time. I can't do this again. And then they move on to something else. Or it's, again, just waiting for that phone call that never comes and getting, um, getting upset that that phone call doesn't come. And then it's like, well, where do you go from there? So I think that's kind of where people need to realize that it's something bigger. You know, it's not about you, right? Mm-hmm. Because, yeah. you know, and that's, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, a lot of the opportunities I've created for myself have come from just me applying to like 500 different jobs. Even for college, yeah. like applying to college, I applied to, I think, 20 colleges and maybe got into me, I think, not even half of them. But I applied to so many because I was like, well, what if this doesn't work out? What if this doesn't work out? What if that one doesn't work out? Like, at least one of them has to say yes to me. Right. I guess Hopefully. I, uh, yeah, yeah, right. I guess I don't, uh, I can't relate to you with that way because... Yeah. In college is the only college I applied to. So <laughs> take uh, the I one guess, time you put yeah, it, all guess, your eggs in one bag. So yeah, that's it. actually the only time that uh, I didn't take my own advice I just gave. Mm-hmm. So I guess maybe don't always yeah. <laughs> that because then <laughs> no, I don't know. Who knows? Who knows? No, I yeah. Apply it to another college like a Syracuse or something, I go to Syracuse. <laughs> maybe maybe I'm somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I mean um, I think in certain situations, you know, if you feel like you can definitely get it, then I guess it's okay to put all your eggs in one basket. But, you know, for me, that's just not how I roll when it comes to career things. I always prepare for the worst case scenario where, you know, yeah. maybe I didn't like maybe something else happens that I wasn't aware of, like, mm-hmm. no COVID-19. Like, that's why I started this podcast, because yeah. I was like, well, I'm not getting my broadcasting reps this summer. So I kind of got to find something to do if I want to, you know, maybe make broadcasting a career. So this is that's this is what I came up with. I was like, well, well let's, let's do it. I have nothing else yeah. to do. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, exactly. So I guess, yeah, I guess the important thing is just to be able to be willing to adapt to your situation and be, be willing to adapt to anything that life throws at you, because life is going to throw a whole lot at you. For, especially from what we've seen, you know, the past few months, like mm-hmm. it's turned everything upside down. Yeah. And I always like to make it sports related and how I think sometimes and baseball is mm-hmm. my favorite sport. Baseball is my life. You could fail seven out of 10 times and still be mm-hmm. a hall of famer. Yeah. And, you know, some days you just have to look for a single, right? Mm-hmm. You don't want to strike out. You just yeah. want to get a base hit. Not a home run, just a base hit. Mm-hmm. And if over the course of 365 days a year, if you can accumulate a couple hits throughout that, well, you hope to hit somewhat like around 300 with mm-hmm. a couple home runs mixed in there and an RBI, maybe a stolen base, you can start feeling a little better. You know, it's every day is almost like a nap bat. Yeah. Right. Or a different no. game. Or a different game. You can look at it that way too. <laughs> You know, you're playing 365 games a year. Some days you're going to lose. Some days you're going to win. Some days you're going to go 0 for 4. Some days you're going to go poor for 4. So some days you might go 1 for 4 with a home run. Some days you might go 1 for 4 with a base hit. Uh, so that's kind of how I look at things. Always uh-huh. trying to find, you know, a base hit even in an 0 for 4 day. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe I just had a good 
after game meal. <laughs> Maybe that's mm-hmm. my uh, that's my positive out of the day <laughs> or the game, right? So I think yeah. it's you know it's it's little things. Yeah, no, absolutely. I actually have never thought of life like that. Um, but that's probably one of the best analogies I've heard for people who have a sports mind. Like, because I mean, every year you're playing 365 games. You yeah. never know what what's going to happen. You know, some, yeah. I mean, some days I've I've hit a lot of home runs, and some days I've gone over four and come back to the to the clubhouse feeling kind of down on myself. But you know, you got to pick yourself up the next day and realize it's a new day, new at new game, new at bat. So um, that's definitely a great perspective to have, and to have that perspective at such a young age is something that I think a lot of people who are in their forties or fifties wish they had at our age. I think that's what's important. That's what, you know, what makes you special, I guess. Well, I I truly appreciate that, you know, and it's, you know, I wish, you know, that, you know, I I feel like people have that in them, but don't Mm -hmm. realize it yet. And I think that's huge. You have to do a lot of self-discovery. You know, who are you Mm -hmm. as a person? You know, what do you want people to think about you? Mm-hmm. And I think not enough people think that deep on those things. Obviously, you don't care too much about what people think of you. But yeah, how do you yeah. come across as a person? That's what mm-hmm. matters most to me. And, you know, like, how did I make you feel as a person, right? How those, those matter to me. If someone says, oh, he upset me the last time I talked, that, that matters a lot to me. Well, what did I do? What did I say? Was mm-hmm. just a look on my face? You know, that, you know, it, it's that I look too busy to have a conversation with you. You know, it's that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And then I need to work on that. And then I need to just say, I'm putting the phone down for five minutes. You know, I don't care what's happening. You know, I'm mm-hmm. going to have a one-on-one conversation with you. And, and an expectation of this kind of out layout. You know, like, hey, how are things going? So I think that's kind of the mindset you have to have in every aspect of what you're doing. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's fine that you say that you have to kind of go through self-discovery to figure some of these things out. Um, For me, this year has been, I mean, the, the five months that we've been through it has been each day I'm trying to figure out who I am and who I want to be. And mm-hmm. I've, you know, developed different methods and I've changed a lot of things that I've done throughout my life uh, this past year because I, for a long time, I just didn't really feel great about, you know, the impression I was giving on people, especially within the last few years when I was trying to, you know, make something of myself in sports media. Cause I feel, I felt like I was just a little bit too arrogant and I've come to realize that that's not the way to go about things. And I've, you know, I've tried to, you know, I mean, I guess this podcast is an uh, is a example of that, of me just trying to reach out to people and reach out to help people because so many people have helped me along the way and i i've always wanted to kind of reciprocate that i always thought that it was going to come you know later in my career when you know maybe i made something of myself but i realized that you don't have to make something of yourself to help others like you can always help people you know no matter where you are in life and i think that's important and i think people who are young if they can realize that from the 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 start like you did that's where they can be successful and where they can, you know, not have to go through periods like what I did. Cause I wish that that was something that I learned a long time ago. And I guess, you know, 
everybody realizes it at their own times. And that's just when I realized it. And there's nothing I can do yeah. about it, but I'm glad I realized it. Exactly. You know, it's all about, you know, it's better, uh, you know, ne- not too late. Or uh, better, better, uh, you know, it's better late than better, never. Better yeah, late than yeah, never. There we go. There we go. Better late than never. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's, it's huge, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you could have been 40 years old and realized that yeah. I just pissed off how many people the last 40 years of my life, mm-hmm. you know, and, you know, frankly, I think a lot of people realize in some cases, well, well, yes, um, we are, you know, young and mm-hmm. sometimes people see that before they talk with us, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, you're only a sophomore in college or a junior in college. Yeah. Sometimes that might help. That might help you yeah. because if, you mess up on an impression and then you meet them again when you graduate. It's almost like fresh, mm. you know, yeah. it's not like you're 40 years old, have an incredible, you know, stance in the sports media world, mm-hmm. right. To where if you piss someone off when you're 40, it's going to be a lot harder to do when you're 45, right. There's no yeah. kind of that reset. And here you kind of have a, not a, a huge amount of reset, but you have some of it, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, but I think it's also better to, you know, kind of attack that problem from the get-go mm-hmm. rather than realizing it a little bit later where, you, you know, maybe you didn't make that many mistakes, but you still made mistakes in terms of relationships. And I think that, you know, it's about realizing it and solving the problem as fast as you possibly can. Exactly. Then to kind of keep, keep going. Yeah, keep, keep, have the problem keep, you know, kind of drowning itself out, if you will. Um, no, yeah, no, yeah. I, I definitely feel like that. You know, it's talk about finding out who you are as a person, you know, mm. and, and that's huge. Yeah, no, um, this has turned into an absolute life conversation, but this is actually, these are honestly the conversations I like having with people, especially people who, you know, are like me, who have, you know, achieved a lot in sports because they're not talked about enough, in my opinion. No. And I, yeah, I wish yeah. I heard something like this when I was younger to kind of realize, you know, that this is the not the right way to do it, but this is probably the best way to go about it in terms of fostering relationships and just being an overall good person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, I mean, this, that, like I said, I keep saying this throughout this whole podcast. This is why I made, I decided to do this podcast is to have conversations like this with people because, um, this stuff I wish I, I learned a long time ago. And unfortunately yeah. I didn't, but now I'm realizing it now, which is, mm-hmm. I, as you said, better late than never. Exactly. Um, so I guess another question I have for you is with all the things that, you, that you've done, um, with you know, the crazy schedule that you have, have you ever felt burnt out at all? You know, I, I would be lying if I said no, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I think I would be lying to tell you if I didn't, even not feel burnt out last summer Mm. you know Mm. last summer was a grind it was the first grind that i've experienced you know especially at the end of the season where there were so many rainouts we had almost you know double headers almost seemed like every single day or every other day. Yeah, it was ridiculous. Had, I remember that. You know, the last three, three and a half weeks of the season, I think we had one off day. Mm. And the the 
most challenging aspect for me personally was I was mm-hmm. living at Dean all summer, right? And New Bedford is about 50, 50 minutes, 50, 55 minutes away. Yep. And I would drive from Dean to the field or to get on the bus every single day and then back. Mm-hmm. So if it was a away game in Vermont, Mount Pelier, Vermont, yeah, that's a six-hour bus ride. So it would be an hour to get on the bus, then a six-hour bus ride there. You're spending mm-hmm. six hours at the ballpark. Then that's another five, six hours on the bus back, and then an mm-hmm. hour back to Dean. And most of the time, most of the time, especially at the end, you get up earlier in the morning. Yep. And you're doing it again. And I do have to say a little disclaimer on those experiences. I was mm-hmm. really lucky um, on some nights. For example, we had a game. I think it was it was in Keene, New Hampshire, on a Thursday or Friday. And then yep. that Saturday we had a doubleheader in Danbury, Connecticut. Oof, and that's a rough stretch. It was there. brutal. That's yeah. a rough stretch. And of course, the Bay Sox, of course, did not. Uh, yeah. <laughs> have the money to have a hotel. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was, uh, we went up to King, New Hampshire, and then uh, then we had a doubleheader in Danbury, Connecticut. So mm-hmm. it was like five. And of course, every single time we were on that damn bus, we, there was uh, so much traffic on the way there. I remember yeah. there was so much traffic for the King game that we were late to the game. We got there at like 6.15. The game started at 6.30. And we had to push the game back. And I got up in the press box and I had my notes and stuff like that. But I like to do a lot of things in my scorebook, but I couldn't really. And, you know, that was a rush right within itself. And then, you know, the next day, luckily that night, like I stayed – with the uh, manager of the team at his house. Yeah. Um, so I got my after game interview in the car ride home. Right. So it was, um, you know, that would, I was able to, and he only lived like 10 minutes from the field in New Bedford. So I didn't have to make that hour trip back to Dean and hour trip back in the morning because it was a lot of, you know, uh, it was a lot of just go, go, go. I loved it. I love that. I love the constant go, but you get tired. And, you know, sometimes I didn't feel like driving home was my safest bet, right? You know, if you're exhausted and then you have to drive an hour and then you're not going to get enough sleep and then you're going to wake up and drive another hour tired, it's like Mm -hmm. you're putting yourself at risk for what, you know, for what's the reason, you know, a collegiate level baseball game, you know, so at the end of the day, right. So I think that's the biggest aspect of it, you know, to where some days I was able, and I was ended up staying there a couple more times later on in the season because everyone was so tired, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, (laughs) everyone was tired of losing too. Um, But, um, you know, my scorebook is at, Dean. Otherwise, I would open up the scorebook right now, and I don't remember how many God. losses, but there are a lot of them. Um, yeah, I felt so bad for you guys towards the end of the season. Yeah, <laughs> I felt so bad. Right. 
<laughs> but because you cared about the people of the team. Exactly. Because right? you so were all good guys. Team. Yeah. Like right. your whole team yeah, is full of good guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's what, that was the most painful aspect about it is mm-hmm. I cared about the players. And um, I think that's, uh, you know, burnt out is how can you not feel burnt out? You know, that's something mm-hmm. I think about every day, you know, and how can I still, you know, sometimes I'll do an interview and I'm like, I feel like I'm asking the same, even though I'm asking different questions, you mm-hmm. know, I feel like sometimes you get the same answers and it's not yeah. a different conversation every single day. And when you start realizing that, it's like, what am I doing? You know, how can I change this up? Is there something I'm doing wrong? Um, that's kind of what I think about a lot of times um, when I'm feeling burnt out is what can I do to the schedule I have that's different, that feels fresh. And I think when you kind of can switch things up and to sometimes, hey, I'm taking a week off. You know, I'm, you know, doing this. You know, I'm not going to work on Monday or I'm not going to do anything on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Um, I also have to learn that not to do that every day because then you get nothing done. Yeah. But, you know, take a day off every now and then, you know. Mm-hmm. Some, to relate it back to baseball, yeah. some players need a day off. You know, you don't yeah. have to be like Kyle Repton Jr. Um, all, the, all the damn time, you know. So I think that's kind of something that you have to learn that you can't give yourself a hundred percent to everything that you do because you will get burnt out doing it. And then you won't find as much enjoyment of doing it anymore. And then you'll get frustrated with the things that you enjoy. And when you start doing that, your only person you're hurting is yourself at the end of the day. Mm. No. Yeah. I definitely agree with you on that. And, um, you know, working with Steven last year, I got to see firsthand what, like how burnt out he became at some points. And, you know, I had to try and be there to kind of help him at, at times because I mean, yeah. the, any I CBL. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, every, every broadcast, every player in that league. I think everyone had. Yeah. I think everyone yeah. did at some point, you know, oh, no, absolutely. that's when you rely on each other, you know, and mm. that's when, you know, I think I've, you know, talked to Steven about this or you too last mm-hmm. summer where it's like either, you're talking to me about it or I'm talking to you about it. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's a grind and we're kind of the only people that truly understand business mm. business. And I think yeah. that's crucial to understand, you know, to everyone else. Oh, it's talking sports every day. And, and that's it. It's and not. it's so much more. It's not. And yeah. you know, that's the thing. Oh, it's just taking pictures. Like, no, mm. you have to create the moments in the pictures in mm. a way. Yes. Yeah. How are you setting up that shot? What are you doing? Are you just standing there mm-hmm. and taking a picture? No, <laughs> you're not just Absolutely. standing there <laughs> in one spot. Like you're doing much more than that. It's, you know, I guarantee you, you're not just throwing up a camera and hitting the shot button. You are setting up the camera, <laughs> finding out the exact layout. There's yeah. so much more in depth that you can bring in. That's kind of, you know, the conversations that you can have with the people is, Burnt out, you know, you can feel in different ways. You know, if you can catch it early on, that's huge. Mm-hmm. But sometimes, you know, you realize uh, maybe burnt out can start feeling like 
you don't like it. And sometimes it, it's almost like if you eat the same food every single day, yeah. right? If you eat macaroni and cheese every single day, well, you're going to get sick of it. But if you could only eat macaroni and cheese every single day, maybe I'll put some pepper on top or a little salt. You know, hmm. how can I still eat the same thing every day? But so it doesn't taste like the same thing every single day. And I think that's kind of the, the mindset you have to have a lot of things in life or in the sports hmm. industry. Um, so it doesn't become your day and you're waking up every morning, going into a, a ballpark, calling a game. No, like every game is different and you have to establish that. And you have, you have to establish that uh, it's going to be different and it's going to be something new and enjoyable every single day. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, you know, I've obviously felt burnt out, you know, last summer wasn't too bad for me because I'd already been through it before and knew what to do. But um, also, you know, working three games a week because we, I only did home games. Steve was the one who was going right. away with the team. So he felt even more burnt out than I did towards the end of the season. Mm-hmm. But the one time I actually really felt burnt out was um, my sophomore year shooting college basketball. Like mid, like towards the end of the season, I did not want to be anywhere near a basketball court because I just spent so much time around the basketball court. So this yeah. year I kind of, uh, my family offered to go on vacation um, to Europe uh, in January. And I took up the offer because I knew that like that vacation would be a good reset for me heading into conference play where I just, mm-hmm. fe- I feel new again and it worked. Right. So I think it's just, yeah. about, it's about finding things like that. that are going to help you along the way and just kind of experiencing it for yourself and being able to adapt, I guess. Yeah, hit the reset button. You have to find those. Yeah, it's absolutely. It's huge. Yeah. Um, so this is a very long conversation. So we're going to skip one of the questions I had, and we're just going to go straight into rapid fire because I think we've touched on almost everything I've wanted to talk about talk about in this podcast and more. Um, so thank you for that. I mean, this has been an awesome conversation, and it's probably one of the best episodes we've done. Well, again, it's not like – I'm going running to watch a baseball game. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and there's really nothing else to do. So, yeah. uh, thank gosh for TikTok. Am I right? Oh, my God. See, I had to get rid of the app a few weeks ago. Or actually, not a few weeks ago, a month ago, because I was too addicted to it. Yeah. Yeah. I just found well, myself sitting in my bed all day looking at TikTok. So, I'm like, yeah, this isn't helping anybody. Yeah. TikTok <laughs> is a great app. It's it's dangerous. It's dangerous. Oh, it's so dangerous. Like if I had it and I was like everything was normal, I was still interning the summer in the Cape Cod League, I'd be doomed. Because I would oh, yeah. just spend I would spend so much time on it. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna head into rapid fire. Five questions that have nothing to do with what we just talked about at all. Are you ready? Yes, I'm as ready as I'm going to be. All right. So first question, favorite book. Favorite book. Let's see. You know, honestly, if I have it. Well, this is this is funny. It's not my favorite book, but it's kind of funny. It goes into uh, our conversation. Um, it, it's a sports uh, media book. It's a textbook. It's not one I got in college. Yeah, it's a textbook. It's reporting, producing, and planning. And oh. I uh, I got this when I was from my tenth grade English teacher, Mr. Curtin, and uh-huh. him and I had a. He's a funny guy. And he would never listen to this because it would drive him crazy of almost an hour and a half of me just talking. Yeah. But uh, he said, he gave me this. And I guess early on, uh, he didn't tell me this until he was very tough on me. Very mm-hmm. tough. 
all the year and the last day of school <laughs> he said he gave me this and he said it was his copy of the book and he said uh, about 10 years ago at the school he had his own sports media class and he said that one day when i'm teaching uh sports media <laughs> that i could use it so um i always keep it on my desk um, wow. and I, I always flip through it every now and then uh and there's so many great pieces in there and well yes things change throughout the years the basics mm. the fundamentals of doing this is in there and i always like to read through it too my favorite book i think anything sports related i enjoy mm -hmm. um there's so many good ones um i'm just i just read one a few weeks ago or months ago now um fair ball by uh bob costas that was a great okay. one that was one before i was even born that i wrote <laughs> um that i listened to he did an i didn't read it I listened to it because if if you have an audio book that's read by Bob Casas, you would much rather listen than read it. Um, yeah. So I read that and listened to that. That was a, a great book. Um, and then I just ordered a book by Fred Clare mm. and Tom or uh, Tim Madigan, and that is extra innings. Fred Clare being the former GM of the LA Dodgers, I interviewed mm. him a couple of days ago. I did and, see that. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, he, uh, wrote that book and I got it and I'm excited to read it uh, because he had an extraordinary journey and mm. also again, a lot of life advice in there too. So I think I'm looking forward to that read. I love, I love to read, but don't really have the time for it, but now we do. Yeah, no, that's kind of the same with me for a long time. Uh, this year I didn't have a lot of time to read. And I also hated reading for a long time too, up until this yeah. year. But um, I've found more time to read. I've actually already read three books this quarantine. So doing pretty good. I'm currently That's, working on the fourth one. Yeah. Yeah. I've only read, I think, two. So hmm. I, I like, it's hard because I have ADD. So reading okay. for me is challenging for hmm. books. For yep. books. I can read endless articles because it's short. Yep. I know the idea of not knowing when the end is for me. Mm -hmm. You know, you understand where the end is in a book, yep. but it's like, you feel like you're never going to get there. And that's a challenge mm -hmm. some, sometimes. So I always like, when I'm reading an article, I always scroll down to the bottom of it and then I scroll back. <laughs> I do that too. Yep. And, yeah, <laughs> you know, and it's like, okay, I know where, um, how much longer I have before mm -hmm. I lose the attention span. <laughs> some days I feel like I have an attention span of a fly and some days yeah. I feel like I have an attention span of, uh, I don't know, something that has a much longer attention span than a fly. Yeah. A human, I guess? I don't know who has the longest attention know. span. I'm not yeah. sure. Not, I have to look that not one up. me as a human. Yeah. As <laughs> a regular human. Yeah, but I mean, you probably have a very longer attention span than you probably give yourself credit for, I guess. Than a fly, I guess, sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Uh, so moving on, uh, favorite movie. Favorite movie, sports movie, or movie in general? Just movie in general. You know, I, I honestly love the movie Anchorman. Uh, Ooh, good one. That's a good one. I love Will Ferrell. Anything that Will Ferrell does, mm -hmm. I will watch. Any interview he does, I will listen to. Um, he's the best. Honestly, the best. Mm. Um, uh, any hidden talents other than what you've done? Uh, you know, media and podcasting. 
I guess I should say making a good ice cream cone. Um, okay. That's yeah. a talent. That's definitely a talent. I can't do that. Right. So. Like, I don't know. Like, I think, I think I realized that when I went to college and mm. I thought everyone can make a soft ice cream cone nope. and then would watch people. And I would laugh to myself because sometimes you have to be a bad person in life, right? <laughs> About when you start seeing someone make an ice cream cone and the ice cream yeah. is just falling all over the place. I'm like, Haha. that was me. That was <laughs> definitely <funny>. me. <laughs> yeah. And, and then of course now, uh, I, I guess I'm, I'm my own worst enemy to now where all my friends say mm. they want an ice cream cone. So now I have to make them ice cream cones and then everyone else sees that I can make an ice cream cone and then they are <laughs> requesting me to make them an ice cream cone from the soft ice cream machine at Dean College. So I guess that's my hidden talent. I guess yeah. I can make a decent ice cream, soft ice cream cone. So you can definitely charge people. Uh, for making them ice cream I cones, should start you should charge like a that. service fee, like a service yeah. fee. Two bucks. <laughs> yeah, two bucks. Definitely, you can definitely make a lot of money doing that too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, three people you'd like to have dinner with. Ooh, that's a good one. I think um, three people I would love to like together or like yeah, together. Separately. No, together. Together. Oof. Um, okay. Ken Rosenthal. Bob mm. Costas and John Sterling. Oh, um, wow. That would be, that's a power table right there. That's a power table <laughs> within itself. Um, and I think that would be a fun table. I think they're all friends too, you know, so in their be great, yeah. spent uh, years around the game of baseball and mm. sports in general. I think that would be a fun table. I would not even talk. I yeah, would just sit no. here and listen. I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, maybe every now I'll throw in a question and let them go at it. <laughs> you know, I'll throw up, you know, a little, uh, a, you know, softball and let yeah. one of them hit, try to hit a home run and <laughs> maybe throw something a little controversial in there. Uh, but that would be the three people I would love to, uh, to eat dinner with. That's definitely a great table. And last one here, um, your favorite quote. Favorite quote. Um, you know, that's a good question. There was one by Vince Scully mm. that I tweeted out uh, a few weeks ago. Let me see if um, I have it here. But yeah, the essence of what he said was huge because um, it mm-hmm. was, let's see here, Vince Scully smiling quote the essence of what he said kind of goes back on this whole conversation mm-hmm. was um this is what he said as long as you live keep smiling because it brightens everybody's day and that's great that's the essence of what i am trying to do and i think most of everyone else is trying to do Mm-hmm. is to live life to the best, you know, and to make other people happy in some ways or in a lot of ways. So I think that's kind of goes into kind of the whole essence of life or in the sports industry, right? Put a smile yeah. on your face. You know, my biggest pet peeve is when you're seeing someone and they never smile. Mm. And you know, it's, it's frustrating because some days you just have to 
and take a minute and appreciate where you are and smile. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, I don't, I, I, I can remember how many times I was in the middle of a game, you know, and it was the middle of a pitch, right? Right before a pitch. And I stopped talking and I just was like, wait a second. Like, this is cool. Like I'm calling baseball or in, in the middle of an inning. You know, I'll never forget the time when uh, I think it was the second game. I decided it was after um, I got lost at Cardinals Field. I said, I'm <laughs> driving there the next time. I'm going to get lost. And I parked my car in the parking garage. And mm-hmm. I had my microphone with me in my bag. And I had my, you know, little carrying bag there. And I was walking into the stadium. And I remember someone mm-hmm. said, oh, do you have a ticket? And I said, no, I'm the team broadcaster. And they said, okay, come right in. <laughs> and in that moment, I felt like I was going to work at the stadium. Mm-hmm. And that was cool. That was special, right? To where at that moment, it was like everything I wanted was happening. Mm-hmm. Even though it was at a summer collegiate league, that was special. And it still is to me right now. So I think just appreciating wherever you are and smiling doing it that's huge Mm -hmm. no it's so funny that you say that because i remember talking to you about that after it happened i remember standing on the field and you were talking about that oh that's so funny it just brought that whole conversation back to me yeah um but no i I completely agree with you on that because i've had so many moments throughout uh, my college career like that where i just kind of just stop and like appreciate where i am and kind of smile a little bit because never in my my wildest dreams that I would have ever expected to be doing what I'm doing or to be where I am in some places, um, like doing games in Madison Square Garden, doing summer collegiate baseball games, growing up, you know, around Newport and, you know, being familiar with a team. I never thought I'd be working for that team ever. And it's just, you know, I, I think a lot of us have these very um, cool, like pinch me moments. Like it's just actually mm-hmm. happening moments in sports and, you know, it's, it's, cool to savor in those moments and that's i think that's another reason why i do this and why i love what i do Mm -hmm. appreciate the journey love the journey you know that's what i love you know Mm -hmm. it's you know someone asked me you know what's next right after i got the burlington thing and Mm -hmm. i said what do you mean what's next (laughs) you know like i just got you know and this is what i will be doing up until after the season, you know, and that's, I'm not, you know, sure. I, you know, I'm always saying, Oh, this is nice, but what if something happens like a pandemic Mm -hmm. and it's like, what's, you know, what's my backup, but Mm. that's not ever, you know, you don't want to lose sight. You don't want to say, okay, I got this now. Where's my next step going to come? Is that next step might not come for two, three more years. And then Mm -hmm. you're going to get discouraged when it doesn't come too quick. And then you become unhappy and it kind of snowballs into that. So you always want to just appreciate the journey and trust the process. It's, Mm. you know, if I would do anything to have one more Bay Sox game, you know, (laughs) right now with that team, right? Like that was special to me. And if you ask that, you know, to a major league baseball broadcaster, you know, what do you call one summer collegiate baseball game? 
They mm-hmm. might, I'm at the major leagues. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Like to me, like that was so much fun. You know, I would do mm-hmm. anything to go back and suck on air at some points as a broadcaster, <laughs> right? You know, and to be in that learning aspect to where no matter what, obviously you could say some things on the air and get fired, but it's not mm-hmm. like it's a cutthroat business where every single word that you say and how you describe a play is going to matter. It matters, but at the same time, not that much. So that's huge, right? So I think that's kind mm-hmm. of what I love most is learning something every day. Obviously, you are still going to learn something every single day, but it's that process that I love. Yeah, um, I'm completely with you on that. And the quote, trust the process, has been something that, you know, for a long time, I didn't understand that quote. But now, like this year, I've really understood that quote because I've really fallen in love with just the process of you know, the day in, day out grind of what I do and like just what we do in general, because it's so much fun. It's what makes the experience so enjoyable for me. Um, it's yeah. not about the end game anymore. It's about you know, just living every day and be able to do this as your livelihood, be able to do this day in, day out. That has become what I live for, I guess. Mm-hmm. No, it's, um, it's, it's what drives a lot of people, right? It's what's, mm-hmm. You know, you get up in the morning and it's a new day and it's an exciting day yeah. for many. And it's all about making the most out of those days. Mm-hmm. And just take something like, you know, the pandemic that happened to make it, it, it's sad that it makes us, that's what made me realize it. But at the same time, I'm glad I realized it because I would kill to, like, as you said, to work in Newport again for just like one game or to cover one more basketball game or just like any sporting event right now. I'd kill to have that. Mm-hmm. And I think moving forward, that's something I'm always going to have in the back of my mind because now I know what it feels like to not have that. Yeah, you'll appreciate the little things in life, right? Mm-hmm. Appreciate the little conversations that you have uh, before or after a game. Like, that's what I miss most. Mm-hmm. yeah no same with me it's just the conversations in the media room before st john's games or the conversations that we have before um broadcasting games on the year uh, it's just, it that's that's why we do it and i think that um you don't realize that until you get into the industry and yeah mm-hmm. that's it, that's what makes this all so special definitely you know and that's kind of the essence that you might find in a sports media reporting producing and planning textbook right <laughs> You know, some some of this conversation isn't in there. And oh, it is. The human elements. Uh-huh. I, I don't know if the human element is talked about too much. Yeah. In this, it's more of like set up for an interview and stuff <laughs> along the lines of that. But being a decent human should uh, be the first page in there. Oh, definitely. I think we should write a textbook now after after this conversation I think, I think about so. that. I think so. Because um, <laughs> I think that's an important lesson that you know. It's huge. I guess. Yeah. I think. But at the same time, I think you have to learn that for yourself. You can't be taught that in a textbook. Yeah. No, unfortunately, I think uh, I think the world would be in a better place if you could teach it in a textbook. That's true. But I think it'd be awfully hard to kind of convey that message to a bunch of kids who have never, you know, stepped foot into like a, any CBL setting or anything. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, well, so Alex, just to wrap up the show, thank you for coming on. This was an awesome conversation. And you know, I wish you the best in the future and i'm sure we'll be in contact for a long time but thank you for coming on thank you for doing this i really appreciate it nick this was a lot of fun thank you for having me um so that's our show for this week folks um tune in tune in next week uh 
uh, I guess, to see who we have on next. I don't know. Um, thank you all for listening and have a good evening.